Feel and Film Plus is a place where our passions lead to conversation. You'll find discussion on movies, documentaries, television, anime, books, video games, and more. If we love it, we'll talk about it. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Feelin' Film Plus. I'm Aaron, and returning for another conversation about the Seattle International Film Festival is Mike Ward, a fellow Seattle film critic whose insightful reviews always break down the pros and the cons to help us answer that most important of questions, should I see it? Thanks for coming back on the show, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me back. It was uh, it was a joy to be on before, and I'm glad to uh, to do this whole thing again with you. This is this is going to be fun. Well, we got good feedback from our listeners that they they enjoyed you and they wanted more of you. So this is just giving the people what they want. Well, I have never been more wanted. That's outstanding. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> now, if you've listened to our first episode about SIF, you've already heard these stats, but I feel like they're worth repeating. So I'm going to run through them quickly again. In Seattle, we've been in the midst of the Seattle International Film Festival. And in this episode, we're going to talk spoiler-free about some highlights on some of the films that are being covered. This year, SIF will screen 400 total films, representing 80 countries. 161 of those are feature films, 58 documentaries, 14 archival films, and 163 short films from all across the globe. I know that's a big I, number. Well, and and I'm laughing because um, they ran through 163 short films in like a four day span. The shorts which, fest, yeah, yeah, the shorts fest, which is incredible. But anyway, carry on. I'm sorry. One day I'd love to attend that. I really would. I, just just for the purposes of enjoyment. <laughs> no, I don't want to cover it because it's just too much work. But 163 films in a weekend. It's I don't care how long they are. That's that's a that's a marathon. Yeah, that's insane. Um, yeah. So the films include also include thirty six world premieres. Fourteen uh, of those are features. Twenty two of those are shorts. At least one of those we're trying to talk about today. Um, thirty four North American premieres and twenty U S premieres. Also significant to this year's festival is that fifty percent of the films come from first or second time filmmakers. Uh, with 30% of the films and 45% of the films featured in competition made by female directors, which is particularly awesome, especially in light of the recent news out of Cannes that Sofia Coppola's The Beguiled uh, won a director award for her work on that. It's a big deal. It really, really is. And and I can't talk about it enough. I've actually been in some conversations online into where Okay, time for a tangent already, where uh, arguments have happened <laughs> regarding this, um, you know, stemming largely this week with Wonder Woman's upcoming release. Um, a lot of men are, I, I, I honestly, I laugh because I don't understand why, but men are up in arms and calling this feminist that the Alamo Draft House would dare have a special screening just for women um, to attend this movie. And, and it, and it, it is completely mind blowing to me, and it it is much like when we saw Get Out, and the reaction that some of the white men that I know had to that movie. I guess I have had my head in the sand, and I just didn't want to believe that people thought the way that they do. But for some reason, people get upset about these things, and so I feel like promoting the good stuff at any chance we get is is the right way to go. 
All right. Okay. Hold on. Are we gonna Are we gonna have this conversation right now? Because let me crack my knuckles. There we go. <laughs> All right. I I don't want to get off topic, but let me just say Let me just say this. If you are offended by the fact that Wonder Woman is being shown in an all-female audience, an all-female screening, you really need to look in the mirror and ask yourself what is important to you in life and how can you make yourself better. This is not a big deal. This, this is a big deal that we actually have a superhero film in one of these two universes. And I don't know. what, what would the, you, you would know better than I. That We got the Marvel, the DC. So this is in the DC universe. They, they ponied up. They gave us something we haven't seen before. Rumors are it's good. You and I are going to find out this week. Um, this is a big deal. The optics on this movie are significant. Whether it's good or not, we'll put that aside. We don't know the answer to that for ourselves yet. The optics on this are a big deal. And if, if you're a guy and you can't handle that fact or you can't see the fact that we haven't had a movie like this before, I'm really, really, really sorry for you because it must be really hard to be you. <laughs> Being this mad over something so innocuous, but yet so significant to art and to the movie going public and to audiences everywhere. And now I'm going to turn it back over to Aaron because I need a drink. <laughs> well, you know, you're, you're, you've earned one. I, I completely <laughs> agree with everything you've said. Like, like I was telling you, I've had this argument. It has not really been a conversation. It has been an argument. And I've just trying to understand what it is that has upset people. I also posted this this recent uh, statistic article that I found that talked about the dialogue uh, of women in films, and it's, it's staggering as well. The numbers just don't support what I try to explain as equal opportunity. It's not about it, – none of us want shoehorned art. We don't want Hollywood to have a Rooney rule necessarily where – your, your film has to have X amount of female dialogue in it or it, it doesn't work. Stories can't be made like that. Catherine Bigelow is a great example. Catherine Bigelow makes great films. She made Point Break. That's a dude movie, right? I mean, it, it's okay that that happens, but you can't tell me there aren't scripts out there that are much more uh, female-centric that are just not getting picked up by Hollywood. I couldn't agree more. You're exactly right. Um, there is... And that graphic, I was nodding my head, as you may have seen, because that graphic uh, that you posted, uh, it's been around for a little while. And I, and I remember reading that and seeing it and just shaking my head that, A, a graphic like that had to be created to make a point that we kind of just don't even realize. I mean, we, we're in theaters every week. We see two, three movies a week, you know, new releases. We catch up on catalog stuff. I mean, I don't know about you. I, I watch about 200 movies a year, which is quite frankly low compared to a lot of our peers, as you know. And we just don't realize the lack of representation sometimes. And what, what frustrates me is when a movie will come out uh, with maybe an all-female cast or the sort of leans to a female side and somehow – that's supposed to just satiate everybody and that's supposed to make everybody, you know, look, there's your movie. It's over there. It's good. We like it. It's great. And then we just sort of relegate those kind of films. You know, we call them chick flicks or we we sort of give them a moniker and we put them on a shelf and we say, oh, they're all over there. You can go enjoy those again. They're not the norm. We don't get these stories. We don't get these these the, these words, these these stories told it's why Mad Max Fury Road was so significant in many ways. It's why Wonder Woman potentially could be 
I don't want to say a game changer because I don't want to overstate it, but but just again, the optics of it existing are new and important. And you just hope these kind of films, Sofia Coppola winning winning it at Cannes, you just sort of hope that these kind of things continue to happen and we sort of see a little bit of a title shift um, in, in kind of the stories that are getting told. Audiences will come out for these movies and um, these are good things. I can't under, I can't say that enough. These are good <laughs> things happening. Well, I, I we're going to leave it at that because we could just go off and, and continue on this. I've, I've already, I've got thoughts running them through my head and I, I'm just going to force myself <laughs> Not to say them, because I know that I'm going to get into this uh, in our Feel and Film main Wonder Woman episode coming up soon. Um, so if you're listening to this ahead of that Wonder Woman ex- episode, please do come back and check the main Feel and Film feed for that. Um, we have uh, a very special guest coming on for that. His name is Andrew Dice. He's been on the show a couple times before. He's an editor at ScreenRant.com. And Patrick and I are huge fanboys of Andrew. And every time we talk to him, it's just a phenomenal conversation. So awesome all that being said that's why it's important that sif has 45 percent of its competitive films with female directors <laughs> that is yes. that's our point so and some of those we're going to talk about today we, right I we mean, actually are you know what slate, yeah. we're going to kick it off with one we're going to kick oh, it off good. with a film that has a a female director um and that is a film that is called landline now this is one of the hotter ticket films coming out of SIF this year, um, so much so that it is actually SIF's centerpiece gala. Mike, do you want to explain what that is? Because uh, you've done this longer than I have. (laughs) Well, so over the course of the festival, they have an opening night film that you only get to see once during the festival. They have a closing night film that you only get to see once during the festival. And then you have the centerpiece gala, which the festival runs about, um, well, for us this year, isn't it what May eighteenth to June eleventh, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. So this, uh, they always choose a film uh, that people, you know, it's kind of a they they hope it's a good get, they hope it draws an audience, and it's their centerpiece gala. It's sort of snug right into the middle Saturday of the festival, um, and they th- they show the film, they invite people to come that have been affiliated with the story, whether it's actors, writers, directors, and then they throw a party afterwards, and it's just kind of another way to galvanize people and get community together, which really, you know, the SIF theme this year is gather. And, um, that kind of does speak to what they've tried to do with this festival in recent years is hold more galas, hold more parties, hold more events where a cross section of SIF sort of fans and attendees can come get together and be a part of different unique experiences. And so that's kind of what the centerpiece gala is. Um, and that's, and they chose landline for that, which, uh, and I won't jump ahead, but um, Obvious Child, which we'll talk about briefly here. Uh, I don't know if it was the centerpiece gala, but I know that it performed very well at SIF in 2014. And uh, Jenny Slate and um, Gillian Robespierre both, I believe, were award winners uh, at SIF in 2014. So getting this new project back is a big deal, and they've put it in a prime spot in the festival. Right, and they've definitely earned that right to to be there. So, um, yeah, so getting into this, as you mentioned, Landline, the director and star of Obvious Child reunite for this uproarious slice-of-life story about two sisters, as you mentioned, uh, Jenny Slate, and then breakout star Abby Quinn in pre-cell phone 1990s Manhattan, who discover that their father is having an affair and conspire to expose him. 
that's the synopsis um, and the general story of what we've got going on here. So I'm going to tell you, we, we can only say so much about this film uh, right now. We're not going to go into details. Luckily, these are spoiler free. The first thing I'll tell you is I'm going to just jump right to it and say that I think it is a movie worth seeing. It is entertaining. Uh, it is an enjoyable watch for the most part. And it's a movie that when it ended, I felt like I had gone from not liking it to liking it over the course of the film. So it was like a slow burn for me that kind of grew and grew as it progressed. I never reached the heights of love. Um, there was just enough that I don't know. I really, I, I wish I could put my finger on it, Mike, as to why mm-hmm. I didn't love it. Um, there were sections of the dialogue that I just didn't enjoy. There were other sections of the dialogue that I adored. Um, you know, I think the, with the beauty of Gillian Robespierre and her direction in this and, and the writing of this, and I wish I had the writer's name written down because it really is a good script overall. It gives a picture of a messy but honest and heartfelt story about human relationships. And that's that's really the best way I can sum it up is it is messy. This is a movie where love is happening in the bath and sex is happening in the shower. Right? It's yeah. it, it, it's it's not it's not your typical relationship that you're going to see on screen, I guess. And and it and it it shows that in all its painful glory. And that's and that's one thing that I both liked and had a hard time with watching it as a moviegoer because the movie goes in these waves of human of real human emotion and it's it's hard to connect. Well, it's not hard to connect to that, but it's hard to watch that and, en- and enjoy it sometimes. It's it's an interesting film. So, I, I don't, have you seen Obvious Child? I have not. Okay. So I won't get too far off the 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 sort of path we're on here, but obvious child is a very funny, but very dramatic story about a stand-up comedian played by Jenny Slate, who is forced to, uh, confront an unwanted pregnancy. And it, the thing that made obvious child very good and very sort of eye opening was it was, it was blunt. It was Frank. It, con- it, it, it didn't, it didn't pander. It didn't patronize. It gave you characters, flaws and all, difficult choices and all, and it just gave it all to you. And it did it with a way, with Jenny Slate playing a, a stand-up comedian, there was this sort of tone that was just unique and different to the film that made it stand apart and really made people step back and go, wow, this is something really to consider and contemplate. But it's funny. There's funny things in it, but there's really dramatic, heavy stuff in it, too. And so for me, the beauty of that film is trying to, you know, car crash all of that together and 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 see where I end up with it. So to segue now, three years later, we have Landline. Landline does do some of those same things. You know, she's giving you characters that they're flawed and they know it and they just can't help themselves. They, they do things 
that are not great. They do things that are nice. They, they, they are in love, but then there's other things going on. There's just, they're human beings, like you said. And she's not afraid to, uh, and she, I, I looked it up by the way, she co-wrote the film with Elizabeth Holm, who's a collaborator of hers. And they're not afraid to just give you warts and all, so to speak. So, part of whether you'll like the film or not is how you receive these characters and how you respond to the decisions that are being made. Um, I'll tell you this. I think the film is a step down from obvious child. I do think the acting top to bottom in it with the main characters is pretty fantastic. Agreed. And, and the, uh, I, I don't, geographically we're spread out all over the country listening to this, but I can tell you that I just realized that Abby Quinn, who if enough people see this film, once it gets its theatrical release, she's going to go places. There's going to be attention on her. She plays Jenny Slate's um, younger sister. Who's kind of, she's a main character, but she's got this kind of subplot that we can't talk about (laughs) that, that kind of drives a huge piece of the film forward and kind of, around the periphery of everything that's kind of at the core of the movie. Um, I just found out that she's like from, from a town called Woodenville, which is like 20 minutes from Wait, where like I live. Wait, like our Woodenville? Oh, yeah. oh my goodness. Yeah. Did not know uh, that. I didn't either until just a couple days ago. So, you know, of course, I'm going to pop for that. She's from my county, right? That's kind of a big deal. But um, to that extent, she's kind of a star here and Jenny Slate is, is terrific. Jenny Slate is such a, a wholly unique actress. I keep saying unique, but I don't know what other words to use. My thesaurus isn't in front of me, Aaron. I'm sorry about that. Um, <laughs> but you've got Edie Falco and John Turturro playing the parents of these two daughters. And you've got other characters that are, that are, that are, that are involved. And there's a, there's a part of this that feels like the best and worst of, of, I'm trying to think of those like um, sort of John Cassavetes and Woody Allen and some of those writers that that just sort of give you dialogue and give you human experiences and let you decide what you do with them. I just wish it was crisper. I wish that it was I wish it believed in what it was doing more than it tends to do. There are moments where this movie could really hit hard and it pulls back. There's moments where it could be a little more endearing and sort of. I don't want to say cuddly, but that's the word that comes to mind. Um, embraceable. And it it shoves you away. And I just think that there's a little too much of that to make it a consistent, great film. But on the acting alone and with the themes that are covered, there's a lot to think about and take away. Um, and we can't really talk more about it than that. And I may have said too much, so you might have to clean this up in post. But... Um, that's that's what I think about landline. There's a lot to like here. I just wish I liked it more. Yeah, no, I think I think that that's that's all very fair and and that's fine for us to say. Believe me, I'm I'm chomping at the bit. I've got quotes written down that I want to dig into and talk about <laughs> themes um, specifically. You know, everybody has a secret, and it says right here in the synopsis that this is a film about a father discovered to be having an affair. And if you've ever been in a situation where you've had a significant other that cheated or you've been a cheater or you've even thought someone was cheating, you will be able to connect to this film on a very, very tight level. Like it, it is, it is scary how accurate 
I feel like the characters portray the the actual feelings that people go through in life. And so I really love films like that. But like you said, there's just something that just just held it back a little bit. So it is very good. Um, it is definitely worth seeing. And, and I hope that it gets a good crowd and some good numbers out in the theaters when it does get its theatrical release. Um, but it's it's not Oscar material. So that's that's our our final take, I guess, is what we would say on it. Abby Quinn. That's the name you want to take away. Abby Quinn. Yeah. So check her out. Look her up in the meantime while you while you wait for this one to uh, come to your area. <laughs> All right. So the next film that we're going to talk about, Mike, is called Time Trap. Ooh. And this is a film. I want to say I actually wrote down that the region was USA, but I actually think it's Australia. I think it's an Australian film um, or the directors are Australian, at least. Um, the directors are Ben Foster and Mark Dennis. And but, but not that Ben Foster. I was going to say not that Ben Foster. <laughs> when, I, when I first saw this one, I got really excited because I was like, <gasps> Ben Foster in a Sith film. Oh, my gosh. Yes. N- no way I'm going to miss that because I love that guy. Um, but not that guy. So the time trap synopsis is when their professor goes missing during an expedition, a group of archaeology students track him into a mysterious cave where a rift in the space-time continuum causes time to pass differently underground than on the surface. Now, Mike. (laughs) Yes. My favorite things. (laughs) Some of my favorite things are science fiction, archaeology, spelunking, (laughs) (laughs) and exploration in films. So this sucker hit on all of those things and threw them together. It was like Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones plus Goonies plus Primer. And if that mashup sounds interesting to you, this is a film you need to have on your radar, to be frank. Um, did you get a chance to catch up with this one? Well, yes and no. Um, <laughs> so uh, in our previous episode, you talked about how uh, certain films are made available to us to view at home. Uh, and that's a very, very nice perk being pressed to cover a festival that has 400 films, right? We can, we, with, with, you know, most regularity, we can ask for something and have it delivered to us and then we can watch it within a time period. And, um, time trap is a, is a movie that, um, was afforded the option. I was able to watch it at home. Um, and then time caught up to me life caught up to me and I'm not, I guess I can say this. I'm not finished with it yet. So (laughs) I can only speak to a portion of the movie. I will say this. What I've seen is pretty terrific. And what you told me offline is that I don't even know what's coming yet. Um, and I'm really hooked into it. Like the first 30, 35 minutes I'm hooked and there's another 40 minutes or maybe 50 minutes to go. And you were like, yeah, you don't even know what's coming yet. Well, (laughs) this is a tale of two films. So the first half is very different than, or the first two thirds is very different than the last third and the climax. Most of the first two thirds is character driven, um, dialogue heavy, mysterious. It's very intense at the beginning of this film. I love the intensity uh, of it. It really kind of gripped my attention and and had me locked in. I was like, Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Um, the Effort, well, it's effortless. It, I, not to, yeah, I just, that's I a great word that. for it. Great word. This 
uh, effortlessly does. You're just immediately, and, and it's it's not like there's all these kind of amazing things going on in the movie. It's it's really just a simple idea of a guy walking into a cave. But the way that they do it, and the way that this guy, he's a little, I don't want to say he's not a good actor. He's just a little, he's a little unpolished. Um, and that helps. I mean, there's a rawness to his performance where we're kind of hooked and we're like, well, yeah, what, go a little further into that cave. What's what's going on in there? It's just such simple filmmaking and simple storytelling, and it works so well to just usher you into wherever this thing is going to take you. Yeah, it really does. And and the filming in particular is is fantastic in the cave. Now, I said I like Spelunky movies. There aren't a lot out there, to be honest, sadly. I mean, I, I've tried to find them all. Most of them are horror. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> You right. know, it's hard to make a good movie in a cave. I mean, let's be honest. You're filming in a dark place with terrible audio uh, capabilities if you're if you're you know realistically filming inside. So I thought that they did a, a really good job of that. There's a couple of scenes in particular visually that are just stunning. I don't know if you have seen um, the massive storm. I'll put it like that. Does that sound familiar at all? No. No. Okay. So what you're <laughs> about to get to when you do get to that part of the film, um, it does take a visually different direction. Um, we start to get some of that sci-fi and fantasy element of the movie and it, and it just gets, it gets crazy, man. I, I really, really liked it a lot. Um, like most great science fiction, I was a little confused and I went, huh, at the end. And I <laughs> well, felt you, I felt like I needed to watch it right away again. But you described you described part of it as primer, right? Yes. Like that's one of the well, there you go. I mean, primer is still a movie that I can't explain. I, I wouldn't even try. It's like putting me in giving me a book on advanced calculus and saying, do page eighteen, and I'll just laugh because yep. primer. You know, I so but so that makes sense to me. Yeah, I agreed. And it and it's it's just a movie that I think is so much fun. I think the production value is, is very, very good for what it is. And I am excited for when this one hits theaters or I'm, I guess I'm hopeful. I don't know if it's going to hit theaters. Um, I'm hopeful that it gets a distributor and, and does get a good theatrical release because I think it could find an audience. I really, really do. Um, this is inventive science fiction and genre mixing that we just haven't seen. I can tell you, Time Trap is the movie that a lot of um, critics, you know, a lot of us are talking about at SIF. I mean, when we're seeing movies at SIF or we're jumping out of the SIF schedule and we're seeing, you know, our typical screening schedule films, people are talking about Time Trap. I mean, I can think of three or four critics uh, that you and I both know that, at least to me, have said, if you can see that, if you can get that at SIF or you can get a screener, that you got to watch Time Trap. You have no idea. It's so great. I can't, I don't even know how they pulled it off and all this kind of stuff. And it's just this sort of just excitement about this movie. Um, and you got to think, you know, I don't know where they are in their process. I don't know if they're still festival hopping. You know, SIF is not an acquisition festival, um, at least not that you ever really hear about. So maybe they've got this thing lined up to go to this city and this city. and the, Eventually, I've got to think just from what I've seen and what you and others have described, this movie's going to get picked up if it hasn't already. Um, and I think you handle this thing right. You're going to get an audience behind it. It, it. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know that that's $5 million in grosses. I don't know if that gets to 20, 30, 40. I mean, whatever it makes, it, it feels 
successful, right? I mean, they micro-budgeted this thing. They're having a ball making it. They're having a ball coming around and talking about it. Um, you just kind of want to root for this thing. And I haven't even... I'm not even to the massive storm yet, Aaron. So <laughs> I, I'm rooting for it um, based on just what everybody has told me. I mean, there's a few films that have popped a, a reaction, but but Time Trap is definitely one of those. Well, I am excited for, for the possibilities that you just laid out there. Um, I, it is, I will say this, so far of all of the movies that I have watched, if we take out the documentaries and we don't count Bad Black which is so different and unique and just it's its own thing. If we don't count those, the, the just general regular old movies that I've watched, this is by far my favorite one of all of them. Um, I, awesome, enjoyed, awesome. I enjoyed it the most and it's the one that I would go rewatch first. So time trap is huge for me. Um, you will be hearing me talk about it more listeners as we get closer to finding out what's going on with it. It is one that I absolutely will be doing a full podcast on uh, if it does get released, Patrick, I'll grab him, and I'm sure he's going to love it as well because he has similar taste to me in, in this kind of style. So, All right, that's movie number two. So up third, we have another of the kind of hot ticket TIFF. Hot TIFF? This is not Toronto. What am I doing? Um, another <laughs> you're one just, of... <laughs> you just one letter off. It's okay. I, I was. Uh, another one of the hotter ticket SIF films that has been getting a lot of buzz around here. And this one is called Entanglement. Um, Entanglement is, I'm just going to read the synopsis and go, go from there. So Silicon Valley star Thomas Middleditch gives a brilliant deadpan comedic performance as a man in a downward spiral who uncovers his parents' secret. They adopted and then gave up a baby girl before he was born. Now he's on a mission to find his missing sister. It's directed by Jason James, and this is a film that comes out of the great north country of Canada. Now, Mike, I knew nothing about Thomas Middleditch. I don't watch Silicon Valley, so I have no hmm. basis for going into this. My first question is, this synopsis tells us that he gives a brilliant deadpan comedic performance. Would you agree with that statement? Well, uh... It's not a bad performance. Um, I don't think it's all that brilliant, but I, it's not that he's bad in the film. I just think I've seen this performance delivered just this way many, many times before. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can think of a, an Oscar-winning short film um, that is built around nothing of course to do with the sister and all this kind of stuff, but a, a guy in a downward spiral depressed who, um, does the same things that Thomas Middleditch does, uh, his character does. And then in the short film, he gets a phone call and that's what saves him. And I just, yeah, well let's, let's dive into this more. <laughs> I, I have some thoughts on this, but I, he Thomas Middleditch is a fine enough actor. He, he's good. He's 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 funny in Silicon Valley. Um, he's kind of well. He's he's got a prominent voiceover role in Captain Underpants, which will be uh, opening in theaters uh, imminently. Um, there's a there's a there's a rocket strap to him um, in in the industry. I don't 
know that this hurts him. I just don't know that I agree that it's brilliant. Um, but we'll talk more about the movie. Yeah, I, you know, I, I agree with everything you just said. It didn't feel brilliant to me by any stretch of the imagination either. Um, I actually, if I was going to use the word brilliant for anything in this film, it would be related more to, um, I think her name is Jen Wick, Wexler? Wexler? I don't know how you pronounce her last name. Oh, it's um, Jess Wexler. J- yeah, yeah, Jess Wexler. She plays uh, Hannah, who is the, the sister, the missing mm-hmm. sister. And I adored her. I just thought she was charming and sweet and interesting. And she hit a lot of different notes throughout the film that I don't think, I think middle ditch is a very one note character in this movie. He, he doesn't change much. Um, at, and it's just, I don't know. It gets boring <laughs> watching him do this same thing over and over. But the thing about this movie, I, I'm really tangled <laughs> over <laughs> entanglement because I found myself almost nodding off at times in, like I said, boredom. I was just like, what is, what are we doing here? What is, where is, where is this going? And I was trying to figure it out. And then something absolutely bonkers would happen that would take the film in this unique, different direction. And I would kind of perk up and go, huh? Now what are we doing? And I just, I had that sense throughout the movie. And then, towards the end and as the climax starts to build I actually did have an emotional reaction to this film so I, it did hit me on some level but I don't think it hit me nearly as hard as its intent was and I feel like some of the choices in the filmmaking and I'm trying to think of how to say this without giving everything away um, there is a surrealistic quality to certain pieces of this movie and those did not enhance it for me. I think that they were detractors more than positives. In- Entanglement is a movie that I know a handful of people that just in my, you know, non film critic folks, just friends, general folks. If I showed them this movie and I praised it and I hyped it for them, they would wring their necks, their hands on the back of their neck. They, they just kind of sit there and I can think that some of them would turn to me and say, "You see, this is this is why I don't watch indie movies. Like, what what is what is going on here? Why do I care about that? You know, it it falls into well, it's the script. I mean, can I just it, it is just, no? It, can we just getting, jump to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not. I don't want to bash the movie. It wasn't a horrible experience. I, I don't. No. I don't regret watching it, but I felt like there was so much potential for well, what the story wanted to be. The, <laughs> the pieces are here, I think. The problem is is that it's even though some of the details, like you talked about, there's a surreal element to it and and quite frankly, the premise of the movie is a little it's a little out there, uh, at least in the execution of it. Um, and his logic in in wanting to go pursue uh, Hannah, who he believes, I mean, I don't know how much we can talk about because um, I think the movie did world premiere at SIF. So I don't I don't know where we are in terms of what we can talk about. But there's a reason he goes uh, to pursue Ben is his name. There's a reason he goes to pursue Hannah. That's a bit of a leap. You have to kind of just accept his decision making. 
It doesn't make a lot of sense. But you go with it because, you know, it's a movie you're watching and you're like, okay, well, I'm invested 15 minutes into this. Let's continue. Um, the problem is, is that, again, there's just the, the decisions and the dialogue. It all feels familiar. And it doesn't – there isn't anything that stands out other than Jess Wexler's performance. But she ends up spinning herself into, you know, sort of a dither around – Ben's kind of morose personality. The characters aren't given enough to do around these two. So it almost becomes like a two-hander for a portion of the film. But the writing just isn't crisp enough to make that soar. And so you just watch this thing kind of spin its wheels. And you're frustrated because you know they, they mean well. And the movie has a good heart somewhere within it. You just can't hear it beat. And so the problem becomes you just don't become interested in it. You, you, you invest, at least for me, you, you spend as much time as you can caring until the movie just keeps making you not care. And, and I'm glad that it hooked you at the end. It didn't hook me at the end. And in fact, I just was wanting, I, I don't want to say this negatively in the sense that I wanted it to be over because I want to reserve. <laughs> I like to reserve those comments for truly bad movies, movies that just truly do not work that f die on the vine there's things to like about entanglement, but as a whole, it's just a disappointment because it doesn't push the narrative anywhere new or engaging. It's a movie that quite frankly, if you watch enough movies, you've seen the story told so many different times that it just feels rudimentary familiar and you're just left watching it going, well, Hmm. Okay. Thanks. And I didn't want to think, I didn't want to feel that way. But I did. Well, I, I can totally understand that reaction to it. I think that my somewhat more positive takeaways are definitely because of the way that I personally relate to the story. So Ben is a divorcee who is having trouble with accepting that he's divorced. And that is really the driving force behind. I mean, we, when we first start this film off, you know, it, it starts with, kind of a comedic series of errors with him really wanting to just, just end his life. He, he's, he's depressed. The, the whole, the whole opening of the film is showing us how depressed he is. doesn't want to live. Um, and, and then we go from there. And so I bought his, uh, his decision to go after Hannah and find his sister. I bought it completely because it was completely irrational and it didn't make sense. And I have been in the place where I have made 100 percent irrational choices simply because I was not in the right headspace. And so I remembered back to that period of my, my life specifically around being a divorcee who was trying to accept that and not really wanting it. And so I bought it. Um, I bought it hook, line and sinker. And there, there are a couple of real stinger lines of dialogue that stood out to me and a couple good messages in this um, about living today in the moment letting go of, of your past. Um, you know, there's one line that Jess, Jess's character speaks where she just says, just enjoy a second of your stupid life. And I just, I love that. Um, it's, it's a good line. I'll yeah. give you that. And I love that because it was just so blunt. Right. And I think that his character at the time needed to have it told to him in that blunt manner, just like some of us need to have that told to us in such a blunt manner. Um, but I think, for me, where it ultimately fails is something that we've we've talked 
around is that it, it just it cuts short the seriousness at the wrong times. I didn't feel like it was it didn't flow in the right way. We would we would finally start to have we would have comedy, 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 and then we would start to get real and we would hit comedy when I needed actual emotion and realness mm-hmm. to come through. And and so it just it didn't it didn't I don't know, it just did felt off to me because of that. So it sounds like we're both pretty lukewarm on entanglement. Ultimately it's not one that I would recommend people go out of their way to see. Um I think people in my position or in Ben's position in life who can really resonate with his story might get a little more out of it. But for the most part I would agree that it's just lost potential yeah yeah um yeah it's it's just a bummer thomas middleditch is is you know like i said he's he's a star on the rise um jess wexler is kind of i mean i would hope that she is someone we see more of um she's the best thing in the movie as far as i'm concerned um and she's you know she's been busy i mean she's just never had the breakout role um and this won't be that. I think it's too small of a movie. But it would be nice if, if people saw this and, and got her involved in other things. You know, it's 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 not a it's a bummer that it doesn't work as well as it could or should for, for me, I guess. But um, you know, it's part of it. You know, not every movie's gonna be terrific. And there's things that are that are that you like here, but you you kinda hit on it that it the tone and the pacing is off and you just you just don't know you just, you just, I don't know. For me, it was hard to, it was hard to feel anything, and only because I'd seen this movie, at least, the skeletal framework of it, so many times. Yeah, before. that's fair. I, I did go seek out her filmography immediately. I, I mean, I haven't watched the movies yet, but I found out what she was in. Um, she's in The Good Wife currently, um, but the two movies worth probably seeing are The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby, um, and teeth <laughs> which i had zero i had zero interest in see- she's the main character in that and i had no interest in that movie i've never had interest in that movie but her performance intrigued me enough that it, it does make me want to seek it out just to see her teeth will blow your mind that's all i'll say yeah well i'm gonna i'm gonna check that one out probably <laughs> here some point in the summer so so if nothing else entanglement led me to jess wexler and i'm, I'm excited for that now there we go. the next two things we're gonna briefly go over mike are a couple of documentaries. We both love docs and Sif loves docs. So these two are really standouts of the festival. Um, Last episode, we talked about the force, which was additionally a very, very good documentary. Um, I, from what I understand, these two are, I know mine, I would put ahead of it. And I I think you're probably going to put yours ahead of it as well. As much as you and every other person in this city that has seen this movie has talked about it. I'm sad that I didn't get to see it. I'll stop beating around the bush. So why don't you tell us what that documentary is that, that made you so uh, enamored? The documentary is called step and it is a incredible it's just an incredible film. It, it tells the story of three girls, three high school girls um, who are they're in Baltimore. They go to a, a charter school that's a, a women, a, a, a girls only high school um, that is geared towards helping them uh, 
prepare for college. Um, obviously, there are issues that that impact the African American community. This school is set up in a place to allow them opportunity to work with them day in and day out, hands-on, personal one-on-one sort of interaction to help them get on a path to get to college. At the same time, they're part of a step dancing team that has a new head coach, and they've never uh, successfully competed before. And this new coach is ready to take this team to the next level. So on top of that, Freddie Gray has just been murdered uh, in the streets of Baltimore by the police. And it's set in t- it takes place in 2015. So while that is not the crux of the film, uh, they address it very early on. It's uh, also used as part of... Um, they go to compete in a, in a preliminary competition and they go by a mural and they talk about the Freddie Gray, uh, you know, uh, murder and the, the tragedy of that event happening and sort of everything that sort of snowballed from there in terms of the, the riots and the, the protests. So it's all kind of a backdrop to the world that these, these girls find themselves in isolated within this bubble of being, um, Trying, re- you know, trying to be readied for college, but also competing in this thing that gives them such great value that is important to their culture, important to their team, and important to their lives because it gives them an opportunity to escape from uh, poverty uh, that they may be experiencing. Where uh, one girl's, you know, sitting outside, the, the camera finds her and she's sitting outside on a porch, and she says, you know, the power got turned off. This isn't the first time. It maybe won't be the last. They'll turn it back on. It'll be okay. We'll be fine. You get a sense of what these girls are going through when they're away from school. And you just sort of see the, the power that each one of these things has amidst the backdrop of unrest that surrounds them every single day that they, that they exist and that they work and that they go to school. It's 82 minutes. It's compelling from moment it starts to the moment it ends. It is a crowd-pleasing documentary for sure but it does not pander or patronize its audience. It tells this story through the voices of these girls. um, And it celebrates them in a number of ways that are just inspiring and empowering. No matter if you're white, black, male, female, you come from wealth, you come from poverty, no matter who you are, there is something that you can take away from this movie and be moved by. And it is an extraordinary story to watch unfold. I I really can't, I really can't celebrate it enough because it's just, it's just what it is. And it's a beautiful film. And the, the, the women that are uh, involved in this picture, female director, Amanda Lippitz, uh, she sort of documents first generation college students. Uh, it's kind of something that she's done. This is her first feature length documentary. Uh, she's made a number of short films, um, but she just knocks it out of the park. And these girls are incredible and their stories are important. And this film is really a snapshot of America. Um, whether we relate to step dancing or not, this is a story that, that happens every single day in our country and we need to see it and we need to see it through this lens. Um, and it's it's a it's powerful cinema. It's it's beautiful and it's wonderful. Wow, that's a, I'm I'm glad to hear that. I'm I'm sitting here like a listener because I haven't seen this one, and uh, that was good stuff. I mean, you you sold me on the movie, so um, 
I think you should be hired for marketing purposes. <laughs> I, I really am bummed that I didn't get to see it. I remember the night when you, you shot me a text and you said that you and, and Sarah and I think your wife were going to go check it out. And I, I happened to record podcasts on Sunday night and wasn't able to make the screening. Um, I'm sad because I would have loved to seen this and even maybe taken my daughter, um, perhaps, or absolutely. Um, I think that it, it sounds like it's one that, that teens could, could really get something out of seeing people in their own situations or not in their own situations, but seeing people of their own age group going through a different lifestyle. Well, and, and the movie we were, you know, it was introduced by the director and she was supposed to come back and do a Q and a, um, when the movie ended just under the assumption that she was going to walk into the room and answer questions, the movie got a five minute standing ovation, which for SIF is kind of a big deal. Like I know we hear stories of at TIFF and all these other sort of Oscar festivals, movies get 10 minutes standing ovations or names come up on the screen and people applaud. And, you know, I'm not going to say that that doesn't happen at SIF, but I have not experienced that before. And this was just an overwhelming, the credits come up and we just rose out of our seats and started applauding. And then she walks in and then the three subjects of the film are following her, which a lot of people didn't realize they were going to be there. And then the coach follows them. And so now suddenly, here they are. The subjects of the film, they're right before us. They're taken with emotion over the reaction that we're giving the film. We're taken with emotion over what they've just shared with us. Um, and I I just, I can't, uh, it, was, it was such an amazing experience. But the film earned every bit of that emotion. So... I will say this. It comes out August 4th. It has Fox Searchlight behind it. We already have heard that they are going to position this strategically for a run at an Oscar for Best Documentary Feature. Um, You're going to hear more about Step before the year is out and probably late summer or into the fall. It's that good of a movie, and and I hope I'm correct. I hope you don't play this back, and I sound like just some blowhard talking about a movie that nobody saw. I think people will get behind this, and I think it'll do well, and we'll be talking about this for a long time to come. Wow, that's awesome. That is that is very very awesome. I, I would I'm gonna try and get a chance to see it uh, as soon as I can. Uh, it sounds it sounds fantastic. The, the one thing that you mentioned there that I'd like to also say for the listeners out there is that. If you ever get a chance to go to a film festival, I don't care how small it is or where you live. You know, I, I grew up in Arkansas, and we didn't, we don't have this kind of thing yet. Um, I know that Jeff Nichols, uh, famous director from the state, is in the process of trying to start something up and create more of this type of atmosphere uh, in Arkansas. So I'm excited about that. But when I moved to Seattle and found SIF. It was just a different experience. I mean, I'd always had this lifelong childhood dream of, oh, I want to go to Sundance, and oh, I want to go to Cannes. And, you know, yeah, I still do. I'm sure we all do, all of us who, who love movies. But realistically, the shot of those those things happening is, is long, right? Obviously, Sundance is a little bit easier to get to than Cannes. But, you know, find the closest thing you've got, whether it's a Portland Film Festival or a Toronto Film Festival. Some of these are bigger than others, but you know, lots of cities have small film festivals. I mean, I live up a little north of Seattle and one of the smaller cities up here called Everett even has their own film festival. It takes place over like one weekend and I've seen some really good stuff there. Um, and I think you owe it to yourself if you're, if you're a movie lover to go out and experience some of 
this type of filmmaking. It's not mainstream. It's not what you're going to see on a summer blockbuster schedule at, you know, your Regal or AMC. Um, and these, it will, it will give you an education into filmmaking and into, especially the documentary side of some of these films into like real life stuff that is not sensationalized. And, and I think that it's just the best advice I could give is if you can get to a small film festival somewhere near you is, is do it. And I would just add to that in the world that we live in now, don't just hear about a movie or see a festival coming and look through the listings and say, Oh yeah, those look good and not go. Don't just tell yourself, I'll catch it on Netflix. I know that's the world we live in now and (laughs) I'm guilty of it too. But the experience of seeing movies that are trying to be seen, I mean, movies are not, they're, they're, they're not living, breathing things. You know, you're not going to walk up to step and pat it on the back and say, you did really good today. It's a movie. It's, it's celluloid. It's on screen, right? Or it's digital. It's on screen. But the, 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 the feeling of seeing a movie like this in this environment, it's trying to get heard all 400 of these movies, right. That are playing Sif are just wanting to get seen and hoping that that springboards them to the next festival or that that theatrical release three months down the line will do just a little bit better because, wow, we killed it in Seattle, right? But that can be the same in any city you're in. And so if you're a movie fan at all, like Aaron's talking about, I, I just, yeah, just do it once. See if you like it. Go check out stuff you, you're just never heard of before and uh, let the stories wash over you and see where you end up. It's fun. It's a blast. Awesome. Well, I am not quite that high on my documentary, um, as it sounds like you are on step, and as it sounds like I probably would be on step as well. Um, I think that the one that I'm going to talk about today is a little bit, maybe just a notch below that. However, I think that it is a top-notch documentary. So the movie that I'm referring to is called The Work, and this is another one that you very well may hear about come Oscar time. Um, because this is a film that won the 2017 uh, South by Southwest Film Festival's Grand Jury Prize for Best Documentary. So it has some legs behind it as well. Now, it didn't get picked up by a major distributor. The distributor, I think, is called Orchard. It's it's a much smaller company. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, it is scheduled for a fall theatrical release. There's no date yet, but that's a good time <laughs> if it's going to come out uh, in theaters. Now, what the work is, I'm going to read a little bit of a detailed synopsis because it's written so well that I, I think it's just easier to go through it than, and then I'll go from there. So the premise of this film is such. Step inside Folsom Prison with three men from the outside as they join level four convicts for a four-day intensive group therapy retreat. Together, they will all participate in The Work of revealing their most raw emotions in order to rid themselves of the deep aggression they feel inside. One at a time, the men from the inside get in touch with themselves, break down, and all at once begin to heal. But it's the men from the outside that must let go of their preconceived notions of what they're supposed to feel and what the prisoners want them to feel and just release the pain and anger they've collected over time. In their debut feature, directors uh, Jerris McLeary and Gethin Aldis volunteered for the organization that hosts the therapy sessions for many years to gain the trust of the thick-skinned subjects 
who now are not only sharing their feelings with the room, but with audiences everywhere. While it's easy to write off violent convicts as they sit in prison, the work drops us behind the walls and alters your perception of rehabilitation. The only request from the men, listen without judgment. Now, wow. wow. I, yeah. So it's interesting. And, and that last line, the part of why I wanted to read this is because that last line hits me extremely hard. The only request from the men, listen without judgment. When I turned this documentary on today, Mike, I was judging it. <laughs> sure. From the it's very human. beginning, I was judging it. Uh, just reading the synopsis, I was not not pessimistic. Um, I was cautious about it. I was. I, I don't know that I, I fully believed in it. And I spent probably half of the movie, much like one of the characters in the film, watching from afar, not getting invested, and wondering to myself, is this staged? How could they pull this off? And were these emotions real? Some of the, some of the, when they talk about releasing aggression and anger and pain in the rawest of ways, I, this is some of the most intense emotions that I have seen ever displayed on film or in like in person, even you can, if, if you can imagine back to your, your worst moments, your angriest moments, the times when you felt like you were broken down, you would literally couldn't stand up because you were crying or you wanted to go, you know, boxing bag on a wall because you were that angry. You could not control the emotion inside you it was it was manifesting itself in a physical need to release energy that happens in this movie for multiple men and it is unbelievable to watch them go through this process together um to watch them bond and to watch them break down these walls to watch them talk through problems and support each other there are moments where they huddle around each other and literally bear hug seven guys around one because that one is trying to fight them off. And it's not because he wants to hurt them. It's because he's releasing anger and aggression and decades some at times of, of, of violent history that they want to kind of cleanse. Um, I, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Now, the only background I have uh, with prisoners is I have done a brief couple of stints uh, with prison ministry. Um, our, my co-host Patrick uh, on Feeling Film, the main show, is actually he's done a lot of prison ministry. So I thought of him a lot when I watched this because he's had very close relationships with prisoners uh, over his lifetime. Mm -hmm. And it, 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 this movie reminds you that they're real people. Um, when it starts off, you know, it tells us that most of the, I said, I will use the words level four. Most of these guys are gang related or violent offenders. These are not good people, you would think. Um, but this is a, a voluntary program that they are in. And it, it, it is so powerful. I mean, I cried multiple times. Um, at one point, the, uh, some, one of the guys is, is, looking at another one of the the prisoners actually is talking to one of the the guys from the outside 
<laughs> and, you know, the way that the film shows how these guys from the outside are affected is incredible because he's saying how he doesn't want to release the motion. And the prisoner says to him, learn to cry like a man with your head straight and your chin up. Just let the tears roll, man. Wow. And I mean, I get, I'm getting, I honestly, I can feel myself kind of getting choked up talking about it and thinking about back to it. Um, there are, are also times where one, I, I can't use the word character where one man, um, is talking about how he's at the point where he wants to take his own life. Like he, he's at that point of, I, he doesn't want to live anymore. He can't handle this. He's the, his baby mama is no longer supporting him. Uh, emotionally, he can't see his son and you watch him talk his way from hardcore. I'm not going to let this bother me down to raw pain. And you watch the tears come through his eyes and then you watch, other prisoner get up and confront him and go straight into his face and beg him to not think about this and to give him time to figure something out. And I just, it's, it is an, a, a look unlike you will ever see. And you know, when all we think of about our prison systems are her once, once someone is incarcerated, they're out of sight, out of mind. You know, I think that's what most of us think about. Right. Yeah, they did their no, time. Right. Now they're doing their crime, right? It's 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 what they 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 earned. But these are people, and they have lives. the The same guy with the the uh, the suicidal thoughts. It's actually kind of neat. He has a sign that he's holding the entire time. This documentary is rolling when we see him sitting, <laughs> and it says, "Ladies, write me with this address," and it has an address on it. And I was like, "That's incredible, right?" Um, and so by the, by the end of the film, um, I had completely flipped from believing it was staged to fully buying into the realism of what was being displayed here. And I am just, I'm, I respect so much these directors for bringing this to the forefront, uh, to be seen. I think that the importance here is more than anything is showing showing us how much our emotions and our pains can build up inside of us and create this this wall that we have and that we all need to break that down if we're going to grow ultimately and i and i hate to spoil this point but i think it's it speaks to the importance of this film and why it's worth seeing is that the program has a perfect success rate Wow. So I think they said, yeah, I think they said 40 participants ish uh, had eventually had gone through this program, had been let out on parole or early parole since they went through it and not a single one of them has returned to prison. And if you look at statistics for how often uh, prisoners are released and end up right back in the system, that is an incredible number. So I, it is it is a gut-wrenchingly hard. I remember texting you and saying after I watched this, I needed yeah. something with fluffy rainbows and unicorns and <laughs> and ice cream. And I I remember just saying whew, when it was over because I needed an emotional release. Um, and I felt like I was right there with these guys. And man, I just wanted to grab them all, all these prisoners, all of these guys. I just wanted to hug them. I wanted to be in the bear hug with them. So, wow, that's awesome. I. I do, you know, I'm. I, you were upset that you missed step. 
I'm upset that I missed this. Um, it played three sold-out shows, uh, I believe three nights uh, at SIF. Uh, and I think the directors were here for one or two of the showings. And this is just another documentary that people are raving about. And I'm so glad that you talked about this because um, there are going to be people, just as I listen to you share your thoughts on it, there's going to be people that they're going to just basically hear the premise and they're they're just going to shut it off. They're not they're, they're going to shut off to it because you know there's there's a sense out there that that people that commit crimes and are in prison are not people, right? That there's there's people that think that they need to you know that they get too many luxuries in prison and they you know they've they've committed these crimes. We forget that what this documentary sounds like it shows you is that these are still people. And we need to still remember that at least from a sense of understanding who they are, why they're there and what they're going through. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, you can, they're not mutually exclusive being angry or, or disgusted by someone's actions does not mean you can't still attempt to understand what led to them being in that situation. And it sounds like this movie takes a very interesting approach in showing us that, um, through this sort of filter of of this organization that comes in and works with them, so yeah, it does. It does. It, it is one I highly, highly recommend uh, for everyone. And and like I said, it, it's you don't want to go into this thinking you have to relate to it. You don't have to know a prisoner. Um, you don't have to feel like you need to leave your home and go volunteer in a prison. That's not what this is about. And this is something that every single human being needs to look inside themselves and understand. And I think the beauty of it by bringing in these outsiders to this process, this, the work that they're doing, they call it the work and the man, is it, gosh, it's just at times it's so visceral, but is it's, it's about, it's almost about, it's, it's an equal part of healing for the prisoners and also for these outsiders who are coming in. And many of them at one point, one of the prisoners are talking, one of the guys, one of the new guys, um, they have a brief little conversation and then he gets up to go get water and the two prisoners talk to each other and they say to him, says there's this man, like he is, he is it. He is, is like looking in the mirror. Right. And so they identify right away that these, these civilians who have not done anything yet have a mental pl- are in a mental place and an emotional state where they could easily become in the same position as the prisoners and watching them try to make sure that that doesn't happen. It's just incredible. I, I, I just, I, I can't even, it's really hard to put into words because it's so different than anything I've ever seen. You know, usually it's all about telling people things. It's all about, Hey man, don't do this thing. It's bad for you. You don't want to end up in prison like me and ruin your life. But the way that it's presented here is stand here and stare me in the face. And you go to that place where your mom hurt you and you think about it and I'm going to stand here and I'm going to stare at you and I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And, and we're going to sit here for 20 minutes and we're going to stare at each other's eyes until you get to the point where you're ready to confront it. And then you watch a man completely break down and just, right. And just, it is, it is like literally like a, 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 a body of inside is shedding off of him like a skin. Um, and they become something totally different. So, yeah, highly recommend the work. Um, I will, again, these are other ones that we'll be championing and talking about as the release dates show up so that people can check them out. All right, so wrap this up, Mike. Has Have you seen anything else that you briefly want to mention or give a plug to lately? 
Um, well, let me think. So since we're talking about documentaries, there is a documentary that came to mind. I'll just take like 20, 30 seconds. Um, it's called The Farthest, and it's directed by um, a woman named Emma, uh, Amer Reynolds. Is this the space one? It's well, well there's yes, um, it is. It's about uh, the Voyager space probes okay. that were launched in um, 1977. My notes aren't in front of me. Um, I think 1977. Um, and it really starts off as just this, I don't want to say typical documentary. Uh, as we're talking about Step and the work and the force and all these other movies, there is no typical documentary anymore, right? So um, – but it's just something familiar, you know, the format anyway. And you sort of like learn about how Voyager came to be, you know, created and, and how they were built and who, you know, was involved. And you kind of go through all that. And then it goes into sort of focusing a lot on the, the golden record, which I, I knew very little about. And someone told me, well, if you had just seen the, the is it Jeff, um, Jeff Bridges movie Starman is that uh, the... <laughs> there is a Jeff Bridges movie called Starman yes yeah which which I know about and I know it was up for a number of Oscars way back you know when I was a little kid um, I admit I haven't seen it but someone was like well if you had just seen Starman you'd know about the golden record well okay be that as it may there was a, a golden record time capsule that was that was sent out uh, in the hopes that if if Voyager if either one of these pr- space probes found alien life or was, you know, taken in by, you know, sentient alien beings, there would be a sort of time capsule about life on earth. And it was in the form of this golden record album. So that's a big crux of the film. And it's a really interesting section of the film. Um, and just overall, it's, it's kind of a nice sort of nod and wink to science and, and the technology of the time and how, you know, these things have, you know, they've traveled 12 billion miles, um, they're out, who knows where, infinite space. Um, it's it's kind of a fun movie, and it's it's uh, a little long for what it is. It's it's two hours and two minutes, I think. Um, and so, you know, maybe it could use a little trim. But uh, I thought it was pretty fun and pretty fascinating. And um, I don't know, just really interesting. Uh, nice little discovery at SIF. So since we were talking about documentaries, my mind jumps to the farthest as uh, something that I saw that I really liked. That's awesome. What about you? Yeah, I had, that, you? I had that one on my short list uh, and didn't get around to catching it. And at this point, with the festival winding down, I don't know how much more I'm going to catch, to be honest, with a vacation impending right around <laughs> the corner. Um, but it is it is one that I do want to see eventually. I, I love and I'm fascinated with space in general. And so I, when I saw space, <laughs> I kind of gravitated, no pun intended, toward that one. Um, the The movie that... I wished we could have talked about a little bit, but I was unable to finish it. Unfortunately, uh, it's also a documentary and there's a lot, there's so many good ones, so many good ones. Well, shout out to the programmers this year. Well, and every year, but certainly this year um, for, and maybe we're just picking the right ones off the tree, but these are all terrific. I mean, they did a fantastic job grabbing these documentaries. So Mm -hmm. Shout out to you, uh, programmers at SIF this year. Yeah, for sure. Um, the the one that I didn't get a chance to finish is called The Last Animals, and the director of this is Kate Brooks. She's a, a photojournalist who had done work in Syria and Afghanistan and and all kinds of different uh, Sarajevo, I believe, and other other parts of the world. And this film is about the the trade of 
ivory and, and tusks, specifically with rhinoceroses. Now, the synopsis is, with the value of their tusks and horns skyrocketing in recent years, uh, African elephants and rhinoceroses have been slaughtered at unprecedented levels. Uh, Kate Brooks digs deep in this scathing expose of the ivory trade, revealing an animal rights travesty as infuriating and eye-opening as that of blackfish. Ooh. Now that's high praise. (laughs) Right, exactly. And that's what captivated me and made me want to see this in the first place, is that stinger right there, when it said as captivating and eye-opening as blackfish. Well, blackfish was a game changer. It it was. It was. I mean, blackfish made things happen it made things different that is correct yes exactly and i wonder if that's even possible with this unfortunately (laughs) because we're talking about a little bit of a different situation we're talking about kind of a company that just has to relent and it's a company that is largely in the united states where people can use their dollar to say i want change versus the wide open african savannah that is you know uncontrolled but what this film what i did see in this film was initially a lot of kind of explanation of what people do so there's a a belief that this rhino horn powder is is almost almost mythical it's medicinal in nature and she was attempting to ask questions about how much these things would cost unbelievable like i mean an ounce or something of this powder is like $700 US. I mean, it's like buying drugs. Um, yeah. So you can see why it's such a lucrative business for these poachers to, to do. Um, and it, and is that, that's pseudoscience, right? Like, is that not settled science that this powder is, has these, or is it, or is there some benefit? I just don't know. That's why I'm wondering if I honestly don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't get deeper into that. Um, I would okay, love to, okay. I would love to find that out. So if anybody listening has knowledge of, of rhino power and it's, it's healing powers, please, or rhino powder and it's healing powers, please comment and let us know. Um, cause I, <laughs> I would, I would, I would love to know, but yeah, I mean it, I did get to see, um, the local, uh, I don't even know what they were, but it's almost like a, some sort of police force that uh, went out with her. They captured some, some people that they believed were poachers. Um, and it's just, you know, <laughs> again, I love the documentaries expose the gray area and, and expose the reality of situations. They're not cinematic villains who carry around arsenals of rocket launchers and automatic weapons and have this incredibly intricate plan and set up system to poach right these are local men who saw an elephant and had a gun and realized man i can get away with killing this thing i can be rich and i could eat and so they do it and and it sounds like if these were characters written in a screenplay with what you described we would just look at it and go oh come on (laughs) exactly this this can't be real right like how far do i have to leap to believe this but here they are in flesh and blood right on screen right before you yeah and they and they're very you know they're very poor and they're very out of shape and they they're you know much like many of the people in the region um they aren't big buff hunters uh who are are accomplishing this so it was definitely powerful what I saw of it. I, I'm going to try and finish it uh, if I can. I just ran out of time. But I don't know that it was as captivating for me as Blackfish was. Blackfish 
was very unique. It was one of the few documentaries I can remember that I still recommend today. I think I actually saw it at Sith, believe it or not. I think that was one of the first hits mm-hmm. I saw there. Um, it, but it, it is it is an area that unfortunately um, is not getting enough attention, and quickly these rhinoceroses are going extinct. And if we don't see a change sooner rather than later, we're going to wake up and we're going to be watching a documentary about how they are extinct. Right. And you hope that that's not a sequel to this movie, right? Right. Right. Yeah. The, the last animals too, uh, or, uh, yeah, no, I don't even want to make a joke. about it. I, I feel bad making a joke about it. So I'll stop. No, no. Yeah. And I, I didn't mean to be crass, but I, <laughs> you, you don't want, you know, you don't want another one of these movies, right? You want it to, to make change. You want it to have the impact that the director hopes it does. So, and I think that's the beauty of documentaries and part of what we love about them as well is you don't know how many people they're going to inspire. And it may not be many. There may be hundreds of thousands of people that watch this documentary, but there, it could inspire five human beings to go into a field in which they work for animal preservation for the rest of their mm-hmm. lives. The, the one watching one movie like this could do that for someone. And so I think that's where the power and the importance of films like this lie. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I think you're right. Well, I think that's good, Mike. Uh, we've covered a lot today and there's uh, a ton of movies for people to, to put on their radar and their watch lists and keep an eye on. Uh, hopefully this has been entertaining and informative for you listeners. Mike, as we sign off um, again, I just want to make sure everybody knows where they can find your work, both about SIF. You have an incredible amount of SIF coverage, not just by yourself from yourself, but you've been collecting all of the Seattle critic film coverage. It's been, it's, it's awesome. When I went to your site, I was blown away, but also <laughs> your, your regular reviews um, toned in the, should I see it format? That is, that is so helpful. Where can people find that? Uh, you can find it at, uh, should I see it? Uh, that's, that's where, am I really going to say this out loud where all the magic happens? I, I don't take myself that seriously. Please strike that from the, it's not where any magic happens. It's just where I write my thoughts on movies. Um, so you can see it at should I see it.net and you'll see there's a tab for SIF and you can see the current SIF coverage. If anything we've talked about or these articles that I'm gathering, if they're of interest to you, you can check them out there and then, I'm putting up reviews this week of uh, Captain Underpants and Wonder Woman because those movies, those widgets just keep coming down the line, right? So um, lots going on there. Lots of time. It's taking lots of time. Sif, Sif could not arrive at a more difficult, challenging time when you work in the industry I work in. So uh, yeah, you just, you just, no kidding. <laughs> you just, you just, uh, you just hold on and do what you can. And it's a lot of fun, though. So yeah, I, I thank you for that. If you want to check it out, that's where you'll find me. You can find me on Twitter at Should I See It, and then just look for um, what's my name, Mike Ward, Michael Ward. Look for that on Facebook, and we'll find each other. We'll connect. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, listeners, if you want to connect with me, you can find me all over the place at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. And that's on Twitter and Facebook. We also have the awesome Feelin' Film Facebook group that is now up to 
roughly going on close to 250 members and is uh, just a great place for everyday discussion of movies and the passions that we have for them. So thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Um, Let us know what you think of the episode and let us know what you think of some of the films we've discussed uh, and let us know when you finally get a chance to go see them as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, That's it for this one. And we'll be back later with, uh, I think Patrick will be doing a documentary uh, with a friend of ours from Retro Rewind Podcast. That's what's coming up next on VLAN Film Plus. So like I said, documentary heavy over here. (laughs) Can't Can't get away from it.